0: You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub.
1: Here comes Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt storming, Joey so takes it again. Down goes Fraser. Down goes Fraser. He hits one. Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard. He got the shot off. Lillard, it's
0: Live on freshair.org.uk. Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub Show Fresh Air. I'm Peter Johnson joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. This week we'll be uh, reviewing last weekend's Premier League action and European football as well as looking ahead to the following week when we do it all again over the next seven days. Um, for once we get to start on a positive note for Alfie with an Arsenal win um, away against Leicester. Um, first away win against a team in the top three since January 2015 and the first victory against Leicester in the league since October 2018, that Arteta revolution is now in full swing, clearly. Oh. Um, so, you're coming from behind, completely blunting Roger's tactics. Generally, an incredibly encouraging performance, wasn't it, Alfie?
2: Yeah, it really was. Just, I, I understand where, where you're coming from, but saying that, for once, Arsenal can celebrate a win makes us sound like we're... Uh, you know, never winning. Which it's
0: just last time you won, we didn't get to do a show. So it's been a while yeah, since we've been able to talk about one. But
2: yeah, when we when we when we beat Leeds four two, yeah, it's very true. But yeah, this was this was much much needed and very welcome, um, and sort of a bit of a surprise to be fair, because there was a lot of rotation in the side, having had quite a dramatic and draining uh, second leg uh, against Benfica uh, a couple of days before, which obviously went our way in the end, but. Obviously, had to rotate. We've had about four games in the last 10 days. And yeah, it was, uh, I, I woke up to, on Sunday morning and I thoroughly enjoyed myself after about 20 minutes because the first 20, you know, conceding an early goal again, looked like, to be, like, looked like it was going to be a classic Arsenal, um, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot, post-European performance. But it turned out to be uh, very different to what I'd anticipated.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to talk about the uh, European football, and just in a little while. Um, obviously, you're just focusing on on this game that we had at the weekend, we have we've criticised players the likes of William, Pepe, Lacazette, David Luiz, obviously over the last few weeks, but they were actually the players who who made that win, weren't they? Really, the players who've not been on the top of the game so far the last few months.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Nicolas Pepe obviously had started to show signs that he was really starting to. Um, find his feet and Arteta was trusting him and then he sort of missed out for a few weeks came back in today I mean on against Leicester on on the weekend and he did brilliantly he had Luke Thomas their young um, young fullback on toast willian was this was his you know his best performance as an arsenal shirt for sure um finally looked like he he'd remembered how to sprint uh, looked like a player who who was capable of 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 running with the ball taking people on and like you say, Lacazette, Louise, I mean, Jacques has been excellent since he uh, got himself sent off for throttling uh, a Burnley player. But yeah, all of these uh, older, more experienced hands were were showing that they can still contribute like they should. Um, and I think that's that's promising because we need to rotate. And yeah, like you say, it was really refreshing to see these guys sort of do the business for once.
0: What did you think of the the likes of Saka and Aubameyang were were rested, which obviously is partly down to squad rotation. Um, but does it suggest to you, because obviously Leicester are um, considerably higher in the league than Arsenal, it was on paper a very tough fixture, but it still rested the, the most informed players. Does that suggest that our setters and minds maybe not on the Premier League anymore, um, or was it just was it just a case of squad rotation? Uh,
2: I think I think it definitely shows that the Europa League is somewhat of a priority not that that means that he's not focusing on the Premier League. I think the most important thing is the rotation. I mean, Aubameyang and Saka had played plenty of minutes and we're seeing it with all the sort of bigger teams at the moment. Rotation is sort of crucial and it's just unsustainable to sort of ask these players, especially someone like Saka, who, you know, is so young and he's played an unholy amount of minutes this season. Um, You can't play him every game. You can't play him for 90 minutes, four times in 10 days. Um, So he must have just chosen to sort of go with this game to to rest the big guns up top. I think also, again, knowing that he had these guys to call on. And earlier in the season, I think they weren't sort of competing for the places. But clearly he sort of trusts them enough to sort of come in on the basis of what he sees in training. And it paid off. And these guys look like they can sort of compete and come in because... There's just a, such a no, need for rotation these days with games sort of every every three days or something, um, but yeah, like like you know, in answer to your question, it was probably more of a case of rotation, um, which was nice to see that there wasn't a dramatic drop off uh, in performances. I thought we played really really well, which was great.
0: I mean, there was just one blot just to just to bring it down a peg on what was otherwise a great afternoon, uh, which was Smith Rowe being subbed off in the first half.
2: Yeah, he. I mean, it sort of shows that this is this is sort of what can happen. I, I, Smith Rose, his importance has maybe um, waned a tiny bit just because we've signed Martin Erdegaard on loan and Saka's sort of uh, grabbing all the headlines with his brilliant performances. So Smith Rose, sort of, you know, he's been consistent, consistently very good since he came into the team, but he has had fitness issues and clearly, sort of. I think it was a hip issue. So I'm not sure whether it was a, you know, a, a muscle sort of um, flare up because he'd been playing too much football, but it just shows that this is the sort of thing that can happen to young players and you've got to take care of them. So yeah, that was a bit unfortunate. Then again, you know, of late, he's sort of been playing on the left-hand side with Erdegaard, And, you know, now that he's injured, maybe Pepe can come back in there. William played really well on the left. So Again, it's not ideal, but you know it opens up opportunities, and it goes to show if, if Smith Rowe got injured, and you know William and Pepe were playing how they were a few months ago, then I'd be probably quite upset and and um, not looking forward to seeing them play. But like we've
0: seen on the weekend, it's it's exciting now. I mean, is was that just a, a one off performance really? Especially from from Willian, you've seen we've seen Pepe gradually improve, but was it was it maybe a bit too early to get excited about? Willian perhaps have hitting hitting his previous form again or are the signs that he is building towards the player that we know he can be well it's a weird one because he came on when we were chasing a goal against
2: Benfica and me myself included was was I was thinking like why on earth are you bringing on Willian instead of Pepe he's, he's not played a minute basically for about two months he's shown that he can't contribute anything to the team he sort of then he set up Kieran Tierney for the goal. And it may it, maybe that was just a moment he needed to sort of, I don't know, refresh, reset. And he honestly, I don't want to get too excited because I Willian doesn't excite me that much. I expect him to sort of fulfil a purpose and be consistent given where he is in his career. But it just looked like he was a completely different player. He, he looked lighter on his feet. He looked confident. Sort of the pressure was off his back. So I think that's really promising for him as a player and for us as well to sort of finally maybe get something back from him on the pitch because it looked like it was it was disastrous um and there was no way out. But good on him and and I guess credit to Arteta for sort of, you know, sticking at it because I think you've probably picked up on, on the sort of Willian hate um you know that, that sort of agenda building against him. So
0: Yeah, definitely. It's well, it's it's a different test entirely this weekend away against Burnley. Um, I think everyone kind of knows what they're up against when they travel to turf more. Um, how do you see that going? Um, well, we would have had a week to to
2: rest and and train, which again is not something that I think we've been accustomed to, or any team really at the moment has been accustomed to. So again, I think like we've been we've been pretty pretty decent um, on the road of late. I don't feel like that concerned about Burnley's threat, i.e. the difficulty they pose, sort of negating you from playing well as opposed to them playing well themselves. Um, so, yeah, I'm feeling confident because, again, you know, we've we've won our last two games, really important games. And, I mean, yeah, it would be great to take a win into, you know, uh, the Olympiakos game. Then we've got the North London derby, I think, in a couple of weeks as well. So, yeah, I'm confident Arsenal have sort of come through this little period decently well um, and yeah I'm feeling I'm feeling confident like you say
0: I'm glad to hear that for your <laughs> um, for your benefit um, it's, been, it's been a little while um, but um, just let's just turn to turn to Leicester now um, I mean, it's you know it's fairly well documented they're a team that's been badly hit by injury so far this season uh, I mean they were lucky this weekend in the sense that United and Chelsea played each other ground out and it was boring 0-0 of the season which we'll uh, maybe come on to um, West Ham also uh, defeated by City, so in that sense they didn't lose too much ground. Um, but they are, as you say, we had, they drafted in Luke Thomas at fullback. They are very depleted at the moment, and they're running out of games if they do drop points to try and rectify it. Um, do you think that? I mean, this, they are still in the top four, but do you think they're up against it now?
2: Well, you're forgetting that Arsenal have, have gained ground on them, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be right <laughs> the heels now. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like they they have tended to do this over the last. year or two they've been I mean certainly last year they were they were flying high and then a few injuries I mean they've been so unlucky with with injuries to key players and so inevitably they sort of hit February March and they not implode but just are incapable of sort of upholding the levels that they've set in the first few months of the season I I don't know I mean you know Harvey Barnes who's been great is out for six weeks Madison's fitness is is doubtful Vardy Sort of looks like maybe his 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 legs are going somewhat, or his influence is waning on games. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they drop away a bit. I still think they'll be a good team and they'll finish sort of in the top half. But they, if if one of the teams up there were to, to, to slowly maybe drop away, I think given injuries and I think they've got quite a tough end to the season as well. I wouldn't be surprised if it was them. And
0: yeah that sort of house yeah i'd agree with that i mean strangely what they have got in the favor is that they have been knocked out of the europa league Mm. which it depends what the priorities are now really if they really thought they had a chance of winning that um but if their priority is champions league next season which you would think particularly after the way they missed out last season it would be Mm. perhaps getting knocked out of the europa league especially with the injuries is going to be a blessing in disguise but
2: it does show like as much as leicester have been a i think we were talking about this last week as much as leicester have been a a lot a better side than Arsenal, for example, over the last couple of years. The I guess what what yesterday on Sunday's game showed was that when they don't have their key personnel, um, they just don't have the sort of options, the the depth. And I suppose people would have said that of Arsenal earlier in the season, but the likes of Pepe and Willian, Lacazette, able to come in and play actually really well, shows that maybe. There's a gulf of of quantity as opposed to quality between Leicester and the other teams. You know they don't have the, the sort of budgets of 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 other other sides that they're competing with. They always seem like they're sort of outdoing themselves. So yeah, look, everyone loves Leicester. It's it's hard not to like them, um, but they've just been so unlucky with injuries. I remember earlier in the season they had they were out like Ricardo Pereira and Vardy for a bit. A um, couple of centre backs, then they all came back, and now they've lost Madison Barnes, James Justin. Um, it's it's pretty incredible to see them all go, and also to be like impact injuries as well, not even like muscular sort mm-hmm. of fatigue injuries. So yeah, they're they're unlucky, but I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs>
0: Okay, so just moving on to um, a couple of other matches from last week in the Premier League. Um, it's not a match we would traditionally have talked about. I think looking at the fixtures weekend, but I don't think we can leave West Brom against Brighton going unnoticed. Um, mm. I think well, that was the the game which saw this weekend's baffling decision um, with uh, Lee Mason. He avoided too much criticism, which I'm glad to see because everyone's prone to mistake. And I think he just had a bit of a bit of a brain fade in the moment. Mm. Um, but I mean, what, what, was, what was your take on the incident in general? Well, I mean, I watched it back. And
2: so what he, there was a free kick for Brighton. He blew the whistle. Lewis Dunk took it really quickly as if it was, you know, sort of catching West Brom out, which he did. And then I think Lee Mason sort of reversed the decision and, and sort of blew again to say, oh, I blew too early. And then it went to VAR. I'm not really sure why. I mean, again, it just like you say, it looked like he made a mistake. I think it is, you know, slightly embarrassing for him to to have something like that happen. It looked from what or, or things that I was reading and and from what I saw, it looked like he he sort of just lost control in the aftermath of that. But then maybe that's also because of the pressure the players are putting him under. The the fact that VAR sort of then gets involved when like what's VAR really going to do in that situation? It's it's about whistleblowing. Um, I don't know. You've obviously got
0: refereeing sort of. Uh, yeah, well, I think, <laughs> the, I think the point at which he lost it was when he awarded the goal. I think that. I think there's there's yeah. I, if he just says, oh, "Sorry, the keeper wasn't in position." We're going to retake it, and that's completely legitimate, completely fine. He award to the that.
2: goal, didn't he? Yeah. And then to
0: Award the goal and then overturn it. I think it's that that element which was the the bizarre bit where he really just kind of panicked. I think. Um, I mean, we've seen. I don't know if you saw. Louis Dunk has got. Uh, the history doing this, did it against? Yeah, yeah, the- yeah, yeah. I remember. So it's it's clearly a tactic that he's got in the back of his mind whenever he steps up for a free kick. Um okay.
1: Yeah, and you know, there's, they,
0: it's 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 not all least not it's not an official law in football that the, the goalkeeper's got to be set ready for a free kick. Like that's 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 just not a thing. It's just kind of the done thing. I think um,
2: will probably feel pretty aggrieved, rightly so, that they didn't have that goal because there was nothing wrong with it from their side. I think the reason it hasn't stood is because mm-hmm. the referee sort of panicked and, and made a decision, reversed the decision, and then obviously VAR get involved. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with what Brighton did. I mean, <laughs> we say it was a bizarre game with that moment, but, you know, they <laughs> Brighton missed two yeah, penalties. Yeah, exactly. I don't
0: think they can feel too hard done by in the of scheme of things. A couple
2: crazy like open opportunities I think their expected goals was about three compared to West Brom's like 0.3 or something like that. I mean, Brighton just don't seem to be able to put it in the back of the net. I feel like they've missed probably about four or five penalties
0: this year. They have. It's been one of the weird ones like Fulham-Brighton. has been a city even as well with just looking very weak from the spot. I mean, just returning to that decision just for like one more take on it. I think that... It's it's perfect. I think I think if you just disallows the goal, ask for a retake, then it's fine. Move on. The keeper wasn't ready. We'll retake the free kick. I think it is the fact that he awarded the goal and then overturned it that everyone's like, oh, "What was all that about?" I think yeah. just the initial decision of blowing his whistle again. There's that's nothing nothing wrong with that. I think it's just what happened yeah. after. Um, but like like I said, I'm glad he's avoided the criticism and that people are realizing the fact that Brighton missed what two penalties? They had like an open net at one stage or something. They failed to score. So mm-hmm. that decision in itself didn't cost them. The game. There was like they the game was lost when they missed two penalties, like one in each half to me. But I don't know if
2: you saw Lee Mason, he I mean a lot of people were suggesting that it might have been because of the fallout of this and he sort of couldn't cope with the pressure, but he's uh I think his body's maybe given way under the under the strain. He like pulled his calf or something so he had to withdraw from um, being the fourth official in one game, and I don't think he's refereeing a game in midweek. So
0: no, I mean so,
2: slightly. He was limping though, so I think he, it was.
0: He did look injured. He, like, I no, no. So he did definitely look injured. I mean, we saw it with Mike Dean doing a few weeks ago. I think it's not. It's not just through the fact that they've made a mistake, which well, obviously, it is fundamentally, but it's the fact that it's more through the spotlight that's placed upon them. Yeah. Because the, the referee should walk onto the pitch like if the, the referee should walk onto the pitch to start the game, and you're like, oh, who's refereeing this one? And then you just like see when the game oh. Mike Dean's in this one. But if all the talk before the games, like, Ollie oh, Mason, he made a massive mistake last week and now he's refereeing this game tonight. And, like, all the attention of the ref before the start, I think that's maybe, you know... Well, that
2: sort of, that thing. came up, not so much about the referee, but in, I don't know if you saw the the, um, the post-match interview with Solskjaer and Luke Shaw about... um hand the possible handball from mm-hmm. Chelsea and they were sort of talking about how maybe what the referee had been influenced by you know the chat before the game and and sort of things various things going up on Chelsea's website. I think at the moment, especially when when fans aren't allowed in stadiums and all of their sort of discourse is taking place on Twitter or you know social media, it, it can sort of draw attention to these decisions. And I guess referees are sort of vulnerable to that because they're mm-hmm. almost like figureheads of, of VAR and you know, fans venting their frustrations at them. So I think it's quite a tough job to be a referee at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's in, I mean, based on what we saw, because we had all the the fast, all the ridiculous penalties the first few weeks of the season, like the number of penalties per game, I think mm. they were saying the other day has gone up quite dramatically, kind of perhaps to do with the absence of crowd pressure. But then count to counter that, it's all the, you know, all these, you know, ridiculous decisions that have kind of built up over the weeks that have made rest kind of more reluctant to, to give them a game. It's all a, strange like it is he's no idea what's a penalty and what isn't quite frankly and it's like it's quite a quite a simplistic approach maybe like to take but I think it is true like average armchair fan sitting watching doesn't know what, what's a penalty and what isn't which is mm. a huge issue in this day and age but um, we'll leave that game for now and we'll move on to uh, Sheffield United against Liverpool Um, one more game worth talking about from from the weekend just gone are you, um, sure you don't want to talk about Chelsea and Man United. <laughs> I mean, if you want to try and talk about that, then you know, you, you're more than welcome. Uh, but I'm just I'm more interested in games in which there were goals. And I
2: think we've already had a discussion this season about a 0 0 between Chelsea and Man United, to be fair. Yeah, let's so.
0: just, let, well, let's just deal with that now, shall we? In all <laughs> the games that United have played against big six sides this season, or the traditional big six, they've lost 6 1 against Spurs, 1 0 against Arsenal, and drawn the other six 0 0. Uh, which I think speaks volumes, really. Um, and I think credit to Solskjaer for having gone a year and beating away from home, and for having United second in the league. But I think if you're just gonna, there's been too many nil-nil it to be a fluke now. Like if you just get one or two nil-nil's, but there's been that many now that if he's set, he's clearly setting up like quite content with a nil-nil, which is just in, just for the league incredible. The, the side sitting second in the Premier League shouldn't be happy for a nil-nil against its biggest rivals, for me.
2: Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. I think from from my point of view, obviously I'm not a Manchester United fan, but I sort of, I look at it and I think, well, yeah, I can see why maybe Manchester United fans are slightly frustrated, but I don't know, like I sort of, I'd, maybe you can expect more from United, but on the basis of what I see from them week in, week out, I sort of, don't expect them to, to play that well against these, these teams. And I know maybe last season they were, they were doing it a bit better, but I don't know. I, I think it's a difficult one. It's sort of what, how much are you demanding? Are you demanding that, you know, if, if United are winning all these games, if they, if they've won these games, basically that they're, they're probably, you know, about, they're probably equal with, with Manchester City and it would be a proper title race, but there's a reason that City are sort of 12 points ahead is because they're They've done they're just better than Manchester United. And I think you sort of deserve to be maybe where you are. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, anyway. I like you say, I'm sure United fans are more frustrated because they see the potential. Um, if they had got something more or or I suppose try and get something more. I think some people think that they're not, I don't know, they're set up in these I mean, I don't know what you make of it, but Graham Souness yesterday, who I can't stand these days on on the Sky Sports uh punditry panel was was suggesting that Um, you know there's a lack of ambition and and this is a team who don't want to win these sorts of games and I watched it yesterday and it didn't look like the United didn't want to win it I just thought like game state the way that Chelsea have been set up under Tuchel and and also how United have been in the bigger games they looked like they were trying to win it they just couldn't and so I didn't think it was for a lack of trying but I I don't know what you
0: made of it. I think it's maybe more the fact that all the nil-nils have gone before, just kind of wh- wh- however the nil-nil came about, like it's clear that both teams were, were intent on on attacking to some degree, but you just you just knew before the game started it was going to be a nil-nil if we're being honest really, like it wasn't going to be a, a, a thriller, it wasn't going to be a classic, it was always going to be an incredibly cagey game, um, and it's just kind of that when you, you're sitting down for a big game, whether it's the Manchester derby, United Liverpool or whoever, and you just... Are predicting a really cagey tight boring game it's not it's not what any football fans see really um you know i would yeah you know, i think i would sacrifice personally you know a couple of defeats in these big games just to get just to sell be able to celebrate a couple of wins um you know there's nobody benefit benefits from a nil-nil really that boring dead rubber so you know i think it's just in everyone's interest really if united generally are a bit more ambitious in these games but um We've got the Manchester Derby this weekend, so uh, we can expect more of the same, probably. Right. What about that? We'll just move on to, well, we'll we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Um, We'll just talk about Sheffield United against Liverpool. um, Ended a dismal run of four league defeats for Liverpool. Um, Keeps them in the mix, as we said, because United, Chelsea, Leicester, and West Ham all dropped points uh, this weekend. Um, what I saw was that it, and I hadn't realized just the extent of this, but it was their 18th different centre back partnership in all competitions, which I don't know how a club can have that many centre backs to uh <laughs> rotate that much, quite honestly. But um and also they had Adrian in between the sticks who conceded nine in two appearances so far this season, uh managed to keep his first clean sheet in the league for Liverpool. Uh, sorry, this this season. Um did you did you watch the game? Did you uh um, yeah I
2: I watched I watched sort of
0: I think about
2: 75 minutes um sort of left it fifteen, uh, twenty 15 20 minutes to go. Uh I mean Sheffield United just aren't very good and Liverpool should have been, you know, they they could have won that game 4-5 nil. I think they there were some great chances they missed. Like you say yeah uh, the the sort of um the varying center back uh, pairings I mean, again, if if any if against any side it's going to come off or, or you'll get away with it, it will be against Sheffield United. Oh, yeah. yeah, so, and even having Adrian in goal. I mean, I think they looked they looked decent, um, not great, but like you say, they're sort of, what, a couple of points away from fourth or
0: something yeah. like that? I mean, it was, it was kind of performance you'd expect to see, you know, on a regular day. Check the champions rock up against a side, bottom of the league, and however many injuries they've got, grind out a result. Um See, so, you know, there was nothing particularly, un- particularly at-, at all surprising about the game, really. Mm. Um, it was, you know, just ended a pretty terrible run, which maybe meant that there was some kind of hope Sheffield United of, you know, repeating the miracle that they performed at Old Trafford. But, um, you know, against champions, they're all going to be up against it. Um, we'll move on to European football now. We had obviously a few games in the Champions League last week, some first legs. And mm. um, we had Atletico against Chelsea. It wasn't the most thrilling spectacle, um, aside from Giroud's wonder goal, which, honestly, I was, I was glad to see after uh, you know, seeing Simeone playing six at the back after five minutes, which just seemed like an absolute crime against football. You know, I, I, I was pretty, pretty delighted that uh, Chelsea managed to nick it in the end.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I watched the, sort of the opening 10, 15 minutes. Atletico looked really dangerous in that game. And then Chelsea just started having the ball, and Atletico was sitting there, not even when they want, and even when the ball broke, not looking threatening. And I thought to myself straight away, like Chelsea can win this game. And as much as it would would come out as a brilliant result, I think Atletico, in these sorts of circumstances, I mean, they've they they sort of faltered slightly at the league, or at least they, I think they lost last week and then lost to Chelsea. And we have seen that, like you say, when they're when they sort of revert back to the Simeone, you know defend the goal at all costs not really do anything going forward it can be quite difficult to watch and enjoy as a neutral uh but yeah Chelsea deserved it and of, I think of all people that anyone would want to see score a goal is Olivier Giroud up top I mean even as a an Arsenal fan I you know I love to see him do well unless he's scoring against us in the Europa League final um basically tearing us apart but apart from that you know he's Everyone sort of writes him off all the time. He gets dropped. He doesn't play football for about six months. He comes back. He wins the World Cup. He, you know, wins trophies and scores overhead kicks. So it's, it's difficult not to really like the guy. Um,
0: yeah, it was, and it was a great goal as well. I mean, I, mean, I did want to ask you that. What are your feelings of whenever you whenever you see Giroud putting in a shift for Chelsea? I think I've it on so many occasions and kind of relative to how Arsenal have struggled at times this season. Do you still feel he could have been an asset? to Arsenal? Do you think he would have continued just to struggle to get into the team? He
2: absolutely could have been an asset. I think the problem was that whilst we had Giroud, he was basically our, our number one striker. I uh, know we had Alexis Sanchez sort of as our main forward, but there was no one else really. I mean, Danny Welbeck, but he was never really fit. Uh, we tried sort of Lucas Perez and and Podolski sort of drifted away, but The issue was that we didn't have an alternative and we've seen with Giroud, he's been most effective when he sort of comes into the team having not played for a while or impact substitution. Obviously, Chelsea have got Abraham to rotate with him, uh, previously had, you know, the likes of, I mean, now they've got Werner as well. I mean, it is a shame because he could have been an excellent, like, alternative to one of the guys we have at the moment. I mean, realistically, what, I mean, if, if we were run smartly, we would have, instead of signing Lacazette in the summer that we did, we would have paid an extra five, ten million for Bamiang that summer, um, and then held on to Giroud, and then you've got you know an excellent sort of uh, variety of option between Giroud and Bamiang and then as it's as it so happened, we signed Lacazette, then signed Bamiang and the only way we could do that was letting Giroud go to Chelsea. So, yeah, I mean, it's a shame because he definitely would have been a great option for us over the last sort of couple of, a year or two. And we saw what he did in the Europa League. Basically, you know, he was Chelsea's main man in the Europa League when they won it under Maurizio Sarri. So it is a shame. It sort of does hurt a bit. I I just think he wasn't necessarily used properly at Arsenal. Um, He was always a good player for us, but he was never going to be the, um, you know, the main number nine who, you know, fires you to the title because, He's just not that player. He can he can fulfill a role. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to see him doing well. And, you know, even I think he's like 34 now, he's, he's sort of a glamorous uh still doing his business at, at this age. So yeah, good on him.
0: Let's just turn to the the other Champions League fixture involving an English side uh, this week, which was bunching lab at Nilman City two. Um now, quite honestly, I don't think we can say that I was expected there'd be any any other results to that game. Uh, which made it 19 straight wins in a for City, which has since become 20 after they beat West Ham. Um, and Guardiola, as of yet, hasn't started to overthink himself in the Champions League, which is something that you, you're always wondering when that's going to come, at what stage he's going to start, trying to be a bit too clever. Um, but it was just it was a routine victory in the end, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I
2: don't think anyone was expecting much else. I mean, the only the sort of surprising, the result wasn't surprising. The fact that De Bruyne, Kim De Bruyne, didn't get on Uh, for a minute Uh, maybe that's just easing him back in I know he played 90 minutes at the weekend against West Ham Uh, but yeah they this sort of game is not going to trouble Manchester City it's when they start playing the bigger European sides and sort of seeing how Guardiola will deal with that because he always seems to like you say go against what's been working for him and you know, City are such a good side at the moment, but guaranteed when they play a bigger European side, when the stakes get so high, I think Guardiola always, like you say, out tries to outmaneuver himself really, and it always seems to backfire. So it'd be interesting to see this year what would happen. What I would say is that City are probably, in a way, they're a, they're a different team perhaps uh, to what they were. A, over the last couple of years. And that's come from really them becoming brilliantly defensively. Mm. And So when you have that as a platform, maybe you don't need to alter the approach so much in these games. So I wouldn't be surprised if if they, they, I mean, it's there for them to win this year. So Guardiola, I think, just should trust in, trust in his players and the system he's got going now. There's no need to change
0: it. I'd agree with that. Um, let's just look then, I think, to Thursday night, um, because that's where our our attention's mainly drawn these days. Um we won't talk about the United. Sorted that game. That was a foregone conclusion. Uh, what wasn't a foregone conclusion was uh, Arsenal getting through, leaving it incredibly late. Um, what was what was the excitement level for you then? Or is it difficult with it being the Europa League? Or was it? No, I mean, it was it was quite. I mean, I didn't feel
2: that excited. Um, I mean, it was a weird game because we sort of went one nil up, but I really felt we were not playing well at all. While still being the better team and deserving to probably go through in the end, because Benfica did little to next to nothing throughout the two legs, <laughs> the way in which we continue to threaten to shoot ourselves in the foot, um, you know, give away a stupid goal like we did, give away a penalty in the first leg, um, concede a stupid free kick just before half time, it really does sort of test your patience. And um, I was thinking at one point, I was when they they went two one up. And it looked as if we were down and out. And I thought, you know what? We might have been the better team, but we don't deserve this. It really sort of shows where we are right now. And, you know, credit to the players. Tierney sort of pulled it back. And then Aubameyang scored the late winner. It was more a sense of relief and a bit of shock, to be honest, because I really didn't think, given how we'd let ourselves concede, that we'd come back from that, because I've just seen it too many times. But hopefully, <laughs> touch the road, that's all out of <laughs> our system now, because... I really don't want to have to go through that when the stakes are a bit higher. I, th- I guess I felt less, um, you know, into the game and involved because it was the round 32 in the Europa League. So if we're not good enough to get through that, then whatever, you know.
0: <laughs> well, you've got your uh, your annual two-leg fixture against Olympiacos to look forward to. Well, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how that one goes. Um, it's a strange... When was the last time you had a season without playing Olympiacos from memory? Like it, it's just one of them quirks in the world of football, isn't it?
2: But uh, Yeah, it's well we had them obviously last year. Um and we crashed out to them in the round of thirty-two. We seem to get them always in in, in group stages, even when we were back in the in the in the Champions League yeah. way back when. So yeah, they they seem to be and now obviously Socrates has played for Olympiacos so mm-hmm. we'll be facing up against him in, in next week. So that's uh exciting. <laughs> Show.
0: seven days um we've got obviously a full a full round of fixtures at the weekend but there's a lot of games in hand going on between now and then um it's one of those weird ones where it's that stage of the season where every single team seems to play a different number of games because of commitments and games being cancelled because of covid things like that um so it's just kind of really a week to start putting that right um i think the biggest one out of all those is what by by some distance on thursday evening liverpool against chelsea um which is it's Seems a really tough one to call for me. This Liverpool obviously on a dismal run at home, Um, but you know to stop the rot of the weekend. Chelsea have been solid on the two call, only conceded two, but they don't still don't look particularly explosive in attack. I think they're yet to score more than two in a game, Um, and I do wonder kind of how capable they are really of maximising Liverpool's defensive weakness.
2: Yeah, it seems to be the case that as much as Liverpool have been on a bad run, they sort of struggled most against the, the teams yeah. sit back, the smaller teams. Um, And obviously, you know, they got torn apart by Manchester City. But like you say, Chelsea, I think the, the sort of caveat to spending loads of money on exciting attacking players and then changing a manager um, and not having maybe the solid foundations behind them to, to let them flourish is sort of, I mean, we're seeing it now. It's, the there it's there it's gonna take time for those players to gel and you know you've you've got the like I was surprised to see on against United on the weekend, you know, Giroud, Ziek and Mount start up front. and you've got like obviously Havertz has been out injured. Werner not really been in great form, Pulisic as well. So yeah, I mean I don't I don't know. I think they'll be very solid against Liverpool. Perhaps maybe behave more like a one of the smaller teams, sit back and hopefully wait to pounce upon Liverpool's inevitable mistake or or sort of going for the game later on. But I, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one to call because neither side, I guess you'd say Chelsea are in better form, but Liverpool are probably still the better team altogether. Yeah. Um,
0: but I don't know what you think. I mean, we saw, he didn't, I mean, obviously the, the game itself wasn't great overall, but we did comment on the fact that in the, the game against United, both teams were, they showed some attacking intent um, perhaps in Chelsea's case that's more out of necessity starting the game six points behind United and obviously it's a great opportunity to try and close that gap um, um, but with you know on the flip side I've seen games against like the game against Spurs for example which was far more cautious um, and I wonder if with Liverpool being so much closer to Chelsea in the table if it might be a little bit more of a a, a case of reverting to that and playing as you said a little bit more or far more cautiously mm, yeah I wouldn't be surprised to see that, and
2: I guess again, like Chelsea are sort of in a position where drawing against Liverpool and United um, are points sort of gained in a way because the teams around them are also dropping points, and I think yeah, Liverpool need to win this game more than Chelsea, so that's the sort of game state that that both the teams go into, and. Yeah, it will be an interesting matchup. Can, can Liverpool sort of do something at home um, against a bigger team? Obviously, Tuchel and uh, and Klopp, both you know, ex Dortmund, sort of of the same school of management. And um, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens in that one.
0: There is also this week, before we before we next meet, uh, the small matter of Man City against Man United on Sunday, which perhaps doesn't kind of have the glitz and glamour. Um, you may usually associate that game for a number of reasons. I mean, the first match, the first derby this season, there was huge anticipation, and it was to all intents and purposes the worst league game of this season, just at all. It was most you know, the most boring 0 nil Since City have won 20 games in a the row, though in a row, they're well clear at the top of the league. Um I think for me that the main the main point of interest to me is we've got two big records at stake here. We've got United have got over a year undefeated away from home. Bruno Fernandes, since he signed for United, United haven't lost a game away from home in the league. Crazy. But it's, you know, So he's at 20, 21 games now. City, meanwhile, obviously are on this incredible uh, 20 games in a row, 20 wins in a row, could become 21 tonight against Wolves. Um, so assuming they do beat Wolves uh, tonight or tomorrow night, depending on when the show goes out. <laughs> whether, whether, they beat, whether they beat Wolves or not, we've got potentially two two huge records going up against one another here. Which one do you think? Because only one of them can remain. They can't both remain. Which mm. one do you think do you see staying intact? Uh,
2: I mean, you, you'd probably put your money on Manchester City, wouldn't you? I think. Yeah, um, I would say so. Having said that, you know, I, I don't know. They... <sighs> United do have a tendency to, to be able to get at City. And I think Guardiola's really, I mean, at least earlier in the season, he was really conscious of, of you know, bigger teams and certainly Man United on the basis of last year, being able to sort of get at City and, and really hurt them on the counter-attack and win games. And I think that's sort of in part what what influenced them to revert to a more defensive-minded approach. Having said that, they've now basically completed you know, uh, sort of building that approach. And now they're an excellent side who can score loads of goals and also be defensively solid. So I think, yeah, I, my money would be on City to to win the game, but I wouldn't be surprised if a draw, you know, it seems like these records, like you saying, one of them's got to end. Um, it's probably more likely that Cities will continue. But then again, you know, to win 20 games in a row, it's going to end at some point, you'd think, and United don't lose games away from home. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a draw either. Um, but, yeah.
0: I mean, it's... Victory would we put... Well, first of all, let's say the Etihad had over the last... Certainly since... I'm thinking since Rashford's debut. We've just passed five five-year anniversary of the thing of the day about Rashford, five years since his debut. And since then, obviously, on his, his first season, he scored the winner. left Demichelis on his backside and scored the winner. Then we've had victory in the League Cup last season away from home. Uh, There was one where the United were 2 down at half-time, came back to win 3-2 to stop City winning the league. And then there was last season as well, uh, victory in the league. So the Etihad hasn't been particularly the most troubling place for United to go as an away team. I would hesitate to suggest that's probably a little bit different this season. Um, Mm. But this season there is the fact that victory would put City 15 points clear of United could see United slip down to third, um, and would really be on the cusp of dropping out of the top four positions with one more bad result. Um, so it's my personal feeling, particularly all kind of the negativity surrounding yet another nil nil draw against a big team. Um, has got to go out and win this for me personally. Um,
1: no pressure,
0: that's that's personally well, it's the it's all about the intent. It's like I said, I would much rather see. Just, just as a football fan, United team second in the league. I would much rather see him going out and try to genuinely try to win games.
2: So you'd rather you'd rather United lose, but sort of go for it in a different way. You know, lose like two, three, one. I would
0: rather United went down fighting than grind out on nil-nil. I don't see any benefit to a nil. I mean, the league is reasonably close, but come the end of the season, what's what's one point? I would much rather go out, try and get the three. Um, try and gain two rather than avoid losing one.
2: Would like be- you say, you know, you just said that you know you lose this game and then the top four sort of looks slightly more in jeopardy. And so, you know, that will probably be on Solskjaer's mind as well, keeping this momentum going. I mean, I agree with you. I think both teams will be going for the. Both teams would probably be fine with a with a draw, but the football fans like to think of a narrative that that sort of suits our our you know fantasy. And you know, City sort of winning the game, and then that's 15 points clear. That's the title, there's so it would be like a sort of symbolic moment. Or if United finally beat a big team, you know, put this nil nil record to rest, um, show that they can do it, end City's record. That would also be what a story that would be in reality. You know, I think both managers with so much at stake, um, and you know, reputation and. And and bragging rights. I think you know it's it is inevitable that a draw, and that sort of uh, result comes into question. But like you say, I think a lot of United fans would rather see the team sort of go for it and then lose. But then again, you know we, you know what City can do when when you know, teams are exposed. So it's, it's a really difficult one uh, to to think about um, from a you know, from from Solskjaer's perspective because I don't really know what the right thing is to do, but you you reckon that he should just go for it and, well, and...
0: my my view is that if you try and defend against City, the, the, the more the ball you give to City, like the more they're playing into your hands, like, is any team capable of breaking down a defensive team? And it's quite clearly Man City. Mm. So by just letting them have the ball, what you're doing is you're, you know, you're limiting your own opportunity to go up to the run and score. And you're also giving them as much time as they need to know, put it in your net. So I think, you know, it's best to just play them at their own game, personally. Um,
2: yeah, I, I agree with you, but, you know, I think the sort of saying, anyone saying, oh, you can't let City have the ball, but like, it's not really, <laughs> no one really has the choice. That's no, no, is, no. But it's uh,
0: all about, I'm not sure how 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 much pressure is this, does this defence get put under? I mean, obviously it's fantastic. It's a very solid defence, the the centre-back, but do they ever get tested? Someone is going to test them
2: be fair like we saw when I don't know if you watched the West Ham City game or caught any of it but mm. West Ham as much as not having the ball they really did threaten um, mm. the City defence I think you know they created uh, the number of big chances that City have conceded in the last like you know 10 games or something like that um, they really drove at the City defence um, Lingard <laughs> sort of yeah, being... So yeah, and, and, and getting shots away in the box. So they are sort of, you know, they've conceded a couple of goals of late. Um, so, yeah, I think that should probably be the blueprint. You know, if West Ham can sort of concede too, mind you, from, you know, corners and both their center back scoring against West Ham, but also give give City some problems defensively, then United should also probably take <laughs> take stock in what David Moyes has done against Well, uh,
0: I, would, I would agree, exactly. Which is slightly ironic to be coming back around to trying to play David Moyes style. Poppy,
2: David Moyes and Jesse Lingard is what you should do.
0: <laughs> well, oh. it's, it's just one of those seasons. Like that's probably the, one of the least surprising things we've we've, we've said on the show, given you know, mm. how the man of the seasons gone. But I I do agree completely with that. Uh, having said that, I've got to say, as usual, a nil nil wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, but we'll wait and see on that one. It's not the most. Hotly anticipated Manchester derby of all time, I don't think, with all kind of, you know, city 15 points clear, kind of United's <coughs> habit of getting nil-nils. But um, mm. we'll wait and see on that one. Um, next week, obviously, we'll be able to reflect on it. We'll have had these midweek Premier League fixtures. We'll uh, be looking forward to some Champions League and Europa League again. We'll be back. Um, so, yeah, we've got all that to come next week. I think we'll leave it there for tonight, though, so I can get a couple of songs in as well. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, everyone else highlight of the show is the the songs probably, but <laughs> so I'll squeeze in a couple of them and we'll leave it there. So uh, thanks again for joining me, Alfie. Um, you, good again, and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.